Blog Talk Radio. Welcome into another Better Late Than Never episode of Cats Talk Wednesday. Vinny Hardy here along with Terry Brown. Had a couple little Wi-Fi issues and laptop issues, so we are 10 minutes into the first hour, starting at 16 instead of the regularly scheduled 6 o'clock. So apologize for that, but uh, feel free to bear with us and connect and interact at the normal platforms. Uh, Cats Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter. It was a call at 845-277-9373 and jump right on in. We'll get the links out from the show account and up on the Facebook page that everybody can see it. Got the Facebook Live thing going again. If anybody wants to pop in there and and interact, feel free to do so as well. Terry T.B. Brown, how are you, sir? Apologize for the tardiness. How are things with you? Let me, here we go. You got me? Yes, sir. Okay, it's it's going good. I know we got a lot of stuff to to cover. We got a guest to come on talk about the college football playoff uh, game that took place on Monday. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Uh, I actually just put up a piece on CameronMillsRadio.com about SEC and and kind of what we touched on last week about how. When it comes to football, all the other teams kind of rally around, you know, whatever team's playing in the championship. And with Alabama capturing the tenth title in 15 years, uh, wow! People like to joke around. It just means more. Well, it means something. It means something. So, really looking forward to covering uh, that game. It was a tremendous game. Uh, I know we're going to go in, in detail on that. Uh, Kentucky basketball games as well. Just a lot of stuff to cover. Absolutely. And uh, we'll save most of the Alabama-Georgia talk for our guests who will be here very quickly now due to my computer acting up and acting like it didn't have Wi-Fi when the Wi-Fi works right here all the time. I don't know what that was about. But Meredith Hornsby is going to be here at 620. This will be about her third or fourth time on the show. Normally we have her on, uh, like, the Final Four playoffs to kind of preview that. Or We've had her on the Wednesday before Alabama plays in the national championship game. Uh, she writes and contributes to uh, the site BamaHammer.com. They cover all things Crimson Tide. And so you know, she's born and raised an Alabama fan from right there in Hoover. So it's always fun to get her perspective and thoughts on the various different seasons. And uh, she realizes how special this is because she's seen it when Alabama hasn't been rolling like this. Uh, so, so she got 
perspective. It's not always going to be this way, uh, but enjoying <laughs> the fifth title in nine years. we got to get our thoughts on the way things played out Monday because that second half was unreal, uh, quarterback changes and all that. So we'll get Meredith's thoughts about 620. Feel free to give us a call if you like, 845-277-9373. Uh, on the football side, TV, we're going to talk a lot of Kentucky basketball as well, uh, dating back to the the game at Tennessee that I covered, the Texas A&M game last night, Vanderbilt game coming up Saturday in Nashville. Um, on the football side, we see some, some key contributors coming back. Uh, they had a chance to go to the NFL uh, and decide to return to Kentucky. So uh, that made some news as well with Josh Allen and Mike Edwards deciding to return to UK. That's huge news. Uh, and, and when you start looking at that roster for next year, uh, next year kind of being what we're hoping is a comfortable eight-win uh, regular season, uh, that's, that's the hope. It's starting to look good. Uh, I know we lost a little bit of depth with with uh, Benny Snell coming back uh, for his junior season, and on the defensive side, uh, Josh Allen and Mike Edwards coming back. You have to feel good. You have to feel better uh, for the 2018 season. Yeah, and you know, admittedly, you know, from Coach Stoops on down. The defense wasn't where everybody had hoped it would be. Um, now you have, you know, leadership and veterans who could have turned pro. They decided to return. Um, you're going to be breaking in a new quarterback on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, so you're going to need to probably maybe lean on the defense as it takes maybe a little bit of time for a Terry touchdown to go to Hoke or – Danny Clark or whoever the starter is going into next year to kind of acclimate because none of those guys have really played a lot of game experience. You know, Terry Touchdown's coming from a junior college. As far as live action, bullets flying, you know, you got a non-conference game uh, against Eastern Michigan, and then it's SEC play in Florida. So uh, you, you might need to hang your hat on defense until the offense catches up to speed, until the passing game gets going. Benny is a, a reliable back to lean on, as we've seen over his past two years. Um, and if he has another great third year, we talked about it before, we might be talking about him challenging you know, some of Sonny Collins' rushing records, which have been around since before we were born, which is just crazy to think. You know, you got Mo Williams' records as well, so that will be interesting to see. But um, the, the defense might kind of have to carry the load and have a lot of pressure and expectations on it to get to seven wins again, hopefully eight wins again, to kind of keep building on what we've seen take place over the past couple of years, getting back to consecutive bowl games and going forward and building on that. Yeah, and, and we'll talk to Meredith about this a little bit. You kind of hinted at it, talking about, you know, the, the championship game on Monday with a tale of two halves for Alabama. So, I think people get bent out of shape uh, when we talk about for Kentucky, you know, the defense is going to have to carry the offense or the offense is going to have to carry the defense. But typically that's the way things go. When you look at any mm-hmm. football team, there's going to, you're going to have a game where everything is clicking, right? 
and your offensive, defensively, those are when you're, you know, you're scoring your 50 points, 60 points. Most of the time, one segment, either it's offense, defense, special teams, isn't going to be carrying their weight. So you're going to have to lean on what is clicking, and we yeah. have seen that. You know, early in the, this year, the defense was playing really, really well, while the offense kind of found its footing a little bit. You know, we have seen that historically at UK. You can look to the pros. You know, looking at your Cowboys, there were games where Aikman wasn't firing, Emmett couldn't run, Irvin couldn't get open, and the defense had to carry it. Believe it or not, you know, for my Niners, Montana, Young, Wright, Rathman, Roger Craig, not doing it. You have to lean on the defense. Ronnie Lott and those guys. It happened. It happened. You know, we have seen special teams be huge. Uh, I, can't, I think it was Justin Rowland had a great tweet uh, during the game on Monday when Alabama's kicker, you know, missed the kick in regulation. <laughs> when you think about how good Austin McGinnis has been over the last two years for Kentucky, those 14 wins could have been nine or ten wins. Because when you think about the, the five and seven campaign, before that, that's when McGinnis was hurt, and, and it changes everything. So you need to be solid in all three facets of a football team to help pick you up when one of them isn't doing what they're supposed to do, right? You know, uh, even looking back at the Ravens when they won that first Super Bowl with Trent Dilfer, uh, yeah, it was all about the defense, but there were games where the offense had to score 30 points. And Dilfer and Shannon Sharp and Jamal Lewis, they were able to do that. So I, I see folks that cover Kentucky football talk about, you know, well, this side is going to have to carry this. And that's just, the, that's just the nature of things. That's just the way things work. Uh, so I, I feel better that we've got experience kind of in both sides of the ball, offensive, defense, uh, to really, I think, carry us while we try to find our identity the first couple of games of the season. Yeah, and uh, we remember how disappointed we were to a point, and even though you can't really be disappointed because, you know, they decided to go out of Alabama, when Kentucky and Damian Harris decided to go to Alabama, uh, when it came down between Kentucky and Alabama and his recruitment, Austin McGinnis is from Alabama, and we were definitely glad to have him. And like you said, took him for granted. Uh, we will hop to our guest now, continue the Alabama football theme. She is coming to us from the 205, third or fourth time on the show. We always, about this time of year, it's pretty much Meredith Hornsby time, and Meredith Hornsby is on the line now. Seems I can get the mic turned on to unmute her. We will get her on. And... Meredith, we want to welcome you in the Cat Talk Wednesday for your annual championship visit. How are you doing this evening? <laughs> hey, guys. I'm doing great. How are y'all? Doing great. We are doing good. Congratulations again. Uh, first off, though, <laughs> let me flash back because saw on Snapchat where you were just sick as a dog while, you know, kids were out <laughs> for break, for winter breaks. How is your health? Are you kind of moving around again? Got the pet bag in your step? How how is that? Because you were just 
sick as you could be for a while. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty sick, uh, but I'm doing a lot better back at work, and everything's going great. Well, good. It just wouldn't be, you know, decent to not ask about that when you knew somebody was <laughs> was struggling. So we got had to ask about the health first, and just give us your thoughts. And you know, we had a almost two days now to process what happened Monday. You know, you guys are used to winning titles, but tell us what you were thinking as this one played out. I honestly don't think I can tell you what I'm what I was thinking. <laughs> I don't know if it's uh if it's appropriate to say. Um it was it was crazy. It was uh we were, I was watching it with my husband and our best friend and my son. My daughter got she got tired and went to bed. Um it was just it was the most frustrating first half of a football game ever and the most rewarding second half of a game I've ever seen. It was just, it was crazy. I was, you know, ran the gamut from cursing loudly and inappropriately to, you know, rocking back and forth, going to throw up and then uh, jumping up and down. We were screaming. I mean, it was, it was just, it was crazy. The whole night was crazy. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, we were glued to the TV as well, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, glad that the rest of the country was mad that the SEC was on center stage. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> and then everybody was and, mad and, that Alabama won again, so. <laughs> and this one, I mean, for you all, you most of your wins, you come out, you impose your will, and, and it's, you know, the result kind of already decided maybe halfway through the third quarter, maybe start the fourth quarter depending. But like you say, for Alabama to have a come-from-behind walk-off touchdown in overtime, that, I mean, that is, you know, unfamiliar territory for you all for sure, right? Yeah, oh, definitely. That was that was some heart attack material right there. It was, it was rough. Um, I mean, you know, to think that, we we had zero points at halftime, zero, only ninety five total yards. I mean, it's just ridiculous to think that. I mean, we we thought it was over. So thinking that we'd be able to come back and not only come back and tie it, but then come back to win it, is just amazing. Uh, it, it was it was unreal. I, I really was defeated, and I'm you know people will say I'm a bad fan for 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 admitting that out loud, but. Uh, I was. I felt defeated. I thought, you know, this is, we're done. It's over. It's, we can't get anything going. We can't make anything happen on offense at all. Defense isn't doing too bad, but they're worn out. You know, I don't know what we're going to do. And then, you know, there's a reason Saban gets paid the big bucks because he figured it out. <laughs> so he's, he's paid more than I am for sure. And when were you, you all. That, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, but, but the, the quarterback change, you know, yeah, yeah. When, when they saw it was announced, and I'm thinking, you've probably only got maybe four or five coaches in all of college sports that could even do that move. Right. And probably Saban is the only guy that could pull it off. That's <laughs> what struck me. 
is that he's earned this. Not because you say you don't want to question him, but when he says we're going to make that move, it's like the team just believed in it, just just a hundred percent bought in. Is is that what you saw on your end? That's that's what I saw as far as the team went. Um, I did not buy in. I I definitely questioned it, and uh, you know that's again something mm. that I'm probably going to get you know some some slack for 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 admitting that. But I mean, I thought Saban was crazy. I thought you're really going to pull Jalen and you're going to put in the true freshman who was playing high school ball last year. He's played mop-up duty in a couple of games. We really haven't seen what he can do. And you're going to put him in in the second half of the national championship game? You're insane. I mean, I did. I thought he was completely crazy. I'm a big Jalen fan. I think I love him. And I'm, I love Tua, too. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like Jalen got us there. You know, he was he got us to where we were as far as being in the, in the championship game to begin with. So, you know, I did. I thought Saban was completely out of his mind. It, it, it seems like a gamble to me that maybe a young coach – it seemed like a panic move. You know, yes, when you see absolutely. That in, in, Desperation. In, yeah, in, in big games, coaches get completely away from what they do. In my mind, I'm a Lakers fan – and I remember, uh, I think it was 2012, maybe, where we're losing in the playoffs to uh, the Dallas Mavericks, and Phil Jackson goes ballistic on the sideline. You know, the Zen master who's been, you know, just you know, let you play through it. He's nice and relaxed, and he freaked out on the sideline. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, game over. That's that's totally. But it it obviously it worked for Saban. It it obviously worked. It did. It did. Tua is – he's the future of Alabama football. And so being able to watch him perform that way and that well, uh, it was it was extremely exciting and, and gratifying. And it just makes us even more excited about the next few seasons. I mean, we had six freshmen playing in that fourth quarter, six true freshmen playing out of, out of 11 on offense. So – I mean, that's amazing. We haven't had that ever. And and then, you know, to look at the defensive side of the ball, we do have guys coming back there. So not only were we able to somehow pull it off in the national championship game, but it, we're looking great set up for next season already. Yeah, it, it, yeah that's insane. Time, yeah, every time you come on, Mary, and I think I've tweeted out a couple of times, Alabama football is the, the Michael Myers from the Halloween movie, everybody keeps writing them off, keep looking for reasons for Alabama not to do it, but they keep doing it. And, and I wrote uh, about the SEC, you know, people around the country, the Danny Cannells and the Joel Klatt, and they want to get t- – the easiest thing to do is beat, is beat the team. You know, Clemson could have beat Alabama. Oklahoma could have beat Georgia. They didn't. So here we are for the 10th time in 15 years bringing the title back to the SEC. It's it's crazy. I just I mean I don't even have any words. <laughs> it is it's amazing <laughs> and and the way, you know, I mean of course I'm an Alabama grad. I'm an alum. I, I love my school, but the way that Saban has been able to not rebuild but reload year after year after year with these players and these amazing guys is just mind-boggling and and yes he's a great recruiter but this 
game also showed what a great coach he is. It went beyond recruiting and just having talent, but to actually go into the coaching details and show that he was able to bring this team being down, you know, 13 to nothing at halftime. With, we had 95 total yards. I mean, and then we went, ended up having more total yards than Georgia at the end of the game. And it's just he, – he's an amazing coach. I absolutely love him. I love Miss Terry. I got to meet both of them this summer. Uh, they're just – I just love them. I can't say anything negative. I just think they're wonderful. Uh, you know, the only thing I – the only thing that I could say about this game or even this this season is that I would give everything that I have if we could get a kicker. <laughs> we just need – a kicker, you know, and, like, I feel like we can forego recruiting for, like, two years. We can just, like, totally ignore all the recruiting. We don't need a quarterback. We don't need any more running backs. We don't need any more receivers. We're good. We're good. We have them. They're set, but we need, like, four kickers. <laughs> we could just get them, get them scholarships. And you you don't even have to be that good, obviously, to play at Alabama. Like, if you can just kick the ball off the tee, you can get to play because our <laughs> kickers are so bad. But if we could get one that could get it through the uprights consistently, you know, at at least 35 yards, I mean, that's, that's not even asking much. That's, you know, an extra point. But if we could just get consistent with a kicker, that's that's all, my kingdom for a kicker. That's all I have. <laughs> <laughs> and, and... I'm going to come back to, to Papa Nastas in just a minute for sure uh, <laughs> because everybody was, was feeling sorry for him, and, and I was thinking the same thing. I told my wife, I mean, when Tua took the sack, you know, 16-yard loss, you know, you're down by three. I'm like, mm-hmm. I mean, the last thing you want to do is trot him back out there because who knows where his head was at. You know, he, he missed the first one of the game. He just missed one that was – put on a tee for him, middle of the field, and we saw him shaking. So I was like, man, the last thing they're going to want to do is have him have to kick to tie. Uh, oh, for and, real. You know, fortunately for him, that he didn't have to do it. My question, too, how, you know, with the quarterback change, you weren't thinking about putting two in. You questioned Saban. Was most of the fan base, you know, Bama fans kind of like you on social media, was everybody – you know, like, what are we doing making a change? Or were there people kind of clamoring? Jalen doesn't have the night put Tua in. And did did Tua push Hurts through the season, you know, in the spring game? Did he have a good spring game? Was it – how big or small was the gap between the two of them, I guess is what I'm asking, throughout the season? Um, the rest of the fan base was definitely calling for Tua time. Um, absolutely. Mm. Social media was filled with people just, you know, all capital letters screaming that they, they wanted to, that Jalen was done. He was, he was not doing anything. It clearly wasn't working. So we really needed to put Tua in. Everybody said, you know, Tua time, Tua time, we need Tua. And I was going, no, no, we don't. So I think I was the only one. I don't know if I was just stupid or what, but it just, I wasn't feeling it. My, my thought was, I guess at that point, that there was a reason that he had not played that much this year, even in clutch situations or even in situations where we were up by a lot, they really hadn't put him in much. Um, And, you know, he was 35 and 53 coming into the game. It wasn't like it was some 
standout numbers or anything just amazing. Uh, we knew the potential was there. I mean, I knew Tua was good. I stayed up to one in the morning last year to listen to his to watch his his press conference where he announced he was coming to Alabama, and I remember watching that from when well, he was live in Hawaii. So I mean, I've been excited about him coming. I absolutely love him. I can't say his first name at all. I know it's Tua, but I, it's that's short for something that I cannot pronounce. And then um, I finally can say Tungavaloa and say it correctly. But, uh, you know, he's he's awesome. I just didn't expect him to do anything like he did. Uh, everybody else was, was ready for the change. And I think that Tua definitely fits Dable's, or Dable's uh, playbook better. He, he fits into what he's used to because, you know, he came from the Patriots. He's used to Tom Brady. He's used to these just gigantic passes and these amazing – plays and Tua can pull him off and I really feel like Jalen has the ability to do that I don't know what has happened in the last year or two I don't know that he was necessarily utilized um, as far as his skill set I don't feel like he was utilized in the best way I feel like he could have actually done better than he did um, which is amazing because he's 25 and 2 as a starter but he could have improved his numbers and, and done a little bit better if our plays had been more around him. But that's just not what our offense is, apparently was set up to do this year. It's it, When they put Tua in, everything just clicked, and it was just go, go, go. And uh, I, mean, I, I still don't, I don't have any words. I just don't, I still don't have words. I'm still kind of in shock. I really – I'm still in shock. And I'm still really sleepy because I stayed up way too late Monday night. Uh, we're talking with Meredith Hornsby, BamaHammer.com, and that's definitely understandable. Still, just processing what a a shocking end of the the back and forth. Alabama rising up and and getting themselves back in the game. Um, you know, it, it was it was just unbelievable to to see that. Um, as, and you mentioned, I saw your tweet about the future of Alabama football without a freshman. The broadcast, they kept mentioning Damien uh, Harris having a frustrating night and things of that nature. I'm, I kind of miss what was the cause for that, but I kept wondering to myself, maybe it's because he's from Kentucky. I'm like, man, Harris isn't getting a lot of touches tonight. Was it just, I mean, it just shaked out that way sometimes, you know, I know they have the running back by committee, you know, Scarborough. The freshman kid, Harris, was getting a lot of carries. And I kept finding myself wondering, like, where's Damien at? Where's Damien at? Is that just kind of the way it just happened to play out for that particular game as far as the running backs are concerned? Or? Yeah, I, I think so. The, they've been in a, a pretty good rotation this year. Um, everybody's sort of had some touches. They've had some runs. Damien's really good. And, you know, he's had back back-to-back thousand yard season so he's uh what's he 1397 so 1397 yards shy of Derrick Henry's all-time rushing record so you know Davey's a beast um we just I don't know that he's been I, I I don't really know I don't know why he didn't get more plays uh you know why he wasn't in more um or even really get more touches the other night it just just didn't work out that way, I guess. I don't really know. 
Yeah, and I usually don't, you know, you know, when I'm watching a game where I don't have a dog in the fight, I'm not like paying attention to that <laughs> as much. And I'm watching Kentucky football or basketball. Well, why didn't such mm-hmm. a in or blah blah blah? But I just kept. I'm like, man, what's aiming at? Are you surprised to see him return and paying the defensive lineman going pro, or was that kind of what you guys were expecting all along? Or I thought he would go pro, so I'm I'm very surprised that he's coming back for his senior season. But I'm thrilled that he'll be there, especially yeah. because Bo is going pro. You know, so that's one of right. our like six. <laughs> running backs that have had carries this year. So, you know, Bo, Bo will be gone, and we're losing Calvin Ridley. He declared that he was going. So, you know, that's a, those are some key playmakers on offense for Bama for sure. So having Damian come back is great. I, You know, I don't know. Could it be another shot at the Heisman? I'm, I'm not really sure, it, especially depending on the quarterback battle, um, you know, whether Tua wins the job, it's – he may not get as many uh, rushing yards unless he's, you know, throwing the ball because he's as a, as a running back. When we have a more uh, a quarterback that's more going more through the air, um, you know, he may not have as many yards as you know as he needs. So, I mean, we'll see. It just it's one of those things that I just don't really know, um, and nobody really has talked much about it at this point. Um, but he is coming back, and, and that is exciting because he, he doesn't need a ton of yards to break Derrick Henry's all-time rushing record. Yeah, that is crazy. Uh, and Payne, you know, we saw him catch a touchdown against Clemson. I tweeted out, I mean, he showed a, a short pass, but he had to adjust to the ball, had to turn in the air, caught mm-hmm. it with his hands, got his feet inbound. We're talking about a big defensive lineman doing all that. Is it just kind of where strike while the iron's hot where he's going, or you're expecting him to, to lose him anyway, or did this kind of playoff run propel him to decide to go? I don't really know. I, I love him. I was ex- so ecstatic for the big boy touchdown. Like, I'm a big fan <laughs> of linemen. Anybody that knows me knows I love the line. And, uh, you know, offensive or defensive, I'm just – I'm a big lineman person. And so seeing seeing the big boy touchdown was awesome. So, uh, you know, I don't I don't really know. Just um, I guess it's one of those things where he has to do what's best for him, and you know what yeah. he thinks is best right now. And and I, I don't know where his his mind's at, what he's thinking exactly. But you know, I think that he'll do great no matter what he ends up doing. Definitely, we're talking Alabama football. Fifth national championship in nine years with Meredith Hornsby at BamaHammer.com. How did you watch the game, Meredith? Did you put on the regular broadcast? Did you have the TV muted and Eli Gold on the radio in the background? Did you flip it from channel to channel? How did you take in the game? Uh, I mostly watched it from the fetal position. <laughs> um, but no, we were watching the uh, the ESPN broadcast most of the time, and then we would flip to Eli Gold. We would flip. To, we would, we were kind of in and out of everything. Uh, it's just several of us, but it's it's our tradition to get together and watch the game. And we have the same food every week, and uh, we we grill out and we do the same stuff. We all have on our lucky shirts, and we've got our all of our gear going on and. Yeah, I was I was mostly curled at rocking back and forth in the fetal position most of the night, um, but but we did keep it largely on ESPN. 
um, against, I think, some of our better judgment. But it just, we want, we would prefer to listen to Eli as much as possible, obviously. But um, yeah, listening to him on the radio, there's a, yeah, oh, he's amazing. I love him. But yeah. um, listening to him on the radio, there's a major delay. And uh, and so we did flip. You could get it on a on one of the stations where you could listen to him, but um, we're we're cheap people, and so we have Sling and uh, <laughs> and the ESPN app, which is garbage. So we were like jumping around mm-hmm. trying to figure out just the feed that would work, you know, for the longest amount of time. Right. I, um. And where Terry, you mentioned it, and Meredith, you did too, talking about you know Saban being the greatest coach. Well, let me backtrack to my first statement question. Is it is it still a debate now, even amongst the, the older generation, that Bear is still the greatest, or what, do they now even have to concede now that Saban is tied in? You know, is it still a divide as far as the Bear crowd and the Saban crowd down there or not? There are people that are always going to hold Bear in high regard no matter what. It's just that that was their generation. That's the coach they grew up with. He was their version of Saban at the time. And, you know, so I I understand that. But I don't think anybody can deny that Saban is for sure the greatest coach at Alabama. And, you know, I personally think one of the greatest to ever coach the game of college football. So, you know, he's he's doing it in a time of, of limited scholarships and, you know, things like that that Bear did not have. He didn't have scholarship limitations. He didn't have those things to deal with. And, you know, Saban does. So he's able to still recruit and coach under, you know, those circumstances and bring in that talent and then mold that talent and produce. So I, I don't think, in my mind, there's absolutely no argument that Saban is the GOAT. Yeah, go ahead, TV. Oh, I no, I, I I echo that those sentiments exactly. Like I said, that Saban was probably the only coach that could pull off that change at that point in time, and and have a team really be behind it. And it's so funny, you know, the national media, everybody likes to poke fun at Saban. You know, where does he get his joy? You know, that kind of stuff. But I think that's why Alabama is doing what they're doing is he's able to look at big picture, small picture, and everything in between while you guys are rolling. You know, people talking about next year, you know, Georgia's recruiting, what's Clemson going to do. And Alabama's been right there each of these nine seasons. That's the thing that is phenomenal. Other teams go up and down, but Alabama is right there. I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon. And I know you're hoping that doesn't happen there. <laughs> I was about to say, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> It's getting to that point where I feel bad for whoever follows Saban when he decides (laughs) to hang up his whistle. I mean, honestly, because you just – you don't really see that smooth transition. I'm talking about not from a good coach to the next guy. I'm talking about from an all-time great to, to, you know, whoever has to follow. Off the top of my head, I don't know who followed Bryant the first time, but – that's a that's an awesome responsibility. You know, we've seen it with Rupp leaving and, and Joe B. Hall coming in. But usually that next guy usually gets swallowed up pretty pretty big. If it's that I think it'll I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, there are a lot of people that will that will bring up the Dabo argument, uh, and I I am a Dabo fan, so you know we'll see what happens there. He does still have a house in Pelham, so that's not far from Tuscaloosa, and you know he's got he's a he's a Bama guy, so it's possible. I don't know. Um, I I do think that Saban will absolutely have a hand in picking his successor. Um, so I'm not. I guess worried. I'm not. I'm not worried about it, and it's not something that any of us even really think about at all. We're like, no, Saban's going to be here forever. He's going to die coaching Alabama football. He will never leave. Um, and I, I think at this point, I, I don't see him leaving. And I'm not sure he's the type of person that can retire fully. Uh, I don't think. I, I just don't know. That would be interesting to see. I almost see him moving into some sort of, you know, athletic director, football director position and still having his hand in the game. Or, you know, or maybe he'll walk away completely. And if he does, that would – I mean, I'm sure Miss Terry would be thrilled to finally have him back after 40-something years. <laughs> you know, be like, oh, I have time with my husband. Uh, yeah. So – you know, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's it's amazing shoes to fill, and just the thought of anybody coming in at this point is, I don't know, ridiculous right now. I can't even process the fact that anybody <laughs> will follow Satan. Like, I just like, no, he's he's gonna be here yeah. forever. <laughs> right. I don't. I can't. We can't blame you. We can't blame you at all. Um, Tuesday, they had the replay. I think it was on ESPNU uh, where the mm-hmm. coaches were watching, and uh, you had Kevin Sumlin, David Cutcliffe, uh, I think the Colorado coach, and you had uh, Mike Gundy from Oklahoma State, Pat Fitzgerald, and uh, Matt Luke at Ole Miss, you know, around the table with Tom Luganville. And so I flipped it on because my oldest wanted to watch it. He wanted to catch everything that he missed after he had to go to bed. So, um you both mentioned Coach Saban's attention to detail. You mentioned it, Meredith, and Terry, you did too when you had a question for Meredith. And, you know, David Cutcliffe was taking down notes and, you know, how all, you know, the football knowledge is just being bounced around because, you know, coaches are on another level. But all six of them stopped and were impressed because when Alabama centered the ball to set up uh, Papanastas' potential I'm probably messing his name up Papanastas' potential game winning kick You know they got the ball in the middle of the field uh, And then he went and missed his second kick But they brought Jalen Hurts back in to take the snap And just run to the left And fall down Because they hadn't practiced that with Tua before And you could just see You know Cutcliffe and all those guys were Like wow The detail just to even have that base covered. I make a quarterback change at halftime to a true freshman. He brings us back. You know, we had the back and forth. He, he he makes plays. He has an interception. He makes some freshman mistakes. But here we are tied with a chance to kick the game-winning kick for a national championship. Let me bring Jalen back in just to take this snap and center the ball so we don't have any kind of fumble, any kind of disaster, because – we haven't covered this in practice. And Cutcliffe said it. Well, if you haven't practiced anything with a player, you can't just take him right into the game. Even though it's something that simple, he's been taking snaps the whole half. 
throwing dimes all over the field, but just, hey, this is a little phase of the game he hasn't done. Let's bring Jalen in to do it. And they were all just, like, kind of blown away that Saban had even thought that out. You know, he thinks out everything. Um, the process is legit. That's that's no joke. So, you know, I mean, he doesn't – I don't know if, how much y'all know about that, but he he has the same lunch every single day, every day. So he doesn't have to think about what to order so he, or what to get. So he doesn't spend time. He doesn't waste time on those menial things. He eats the exact same breakfast every day. He does everything very consistently so he doesn't waste time on those, you know, meaningless things so he can focus on those details. Um, also, the play before that, too, I had just kind of screwed up. So it was he'd just gotten – I guess his first like real minor butt chewing on the sideline. And so I thought it was kind of funny because I was like, okay, well he screwed up. So he's sticking Jalen in. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he, Saban of, of all people would be the one to say, we need to, to go to our guy that we know can pull this off. You know, and originally I, what we've heard was that it was supposed to be a rotating quarterback system in the second half, but Tua did so well that Jalen never got to come back in except for that play so you know um I don't know you know it's just uh it was it was wonderful and and that's just that's how Saban is and so we just we all say trust the process just trust the process he has it down and so not only do the players completely buy in to the process but so do the fans so we all know yeah. all right we're just we're going to trust the process <laughs> okay, don't mess with what's working for sure. Right. I gotta it ask you. Don't fix it. That's right. I gotta ask you another either-or type question. Um, with with uh, you know Kentucky basketball and their their fans, comparisons are made. You know Kentucky and Alabama fans most passionate. Obviously, tradition that both programs have, things of that nature. Uh, we had. Kenny Walker on the show a few weeks ago. Uh, he was a freshman at UK, one of the second leading scorer in Kentucky basketball history. Uh, he was a freshman when Terry and I were like five. So, I, you know, five to eight were his years at Kentucky. The four years he was there, I was like five. When he left, I was like eight or nine. So I remember him, one of the first cats I remember playing. My dad called into the show, you know, to talk to Kenny because he was excited that we got him on and things like that. <laughs> and my dad made a point to tell him you are one of the most beloved Kentucky Wildcats ever. You know, there's been a lot of great ones. A lot of them we love. You're one of the most beloved uh, cats ever. And now that conversation kind of goes to John Calipari era. You have the most beloved cat since he's been here. And then you kind of got the older guys. So from an Alabama standpoint, who are kind of the most beloved Alabama guys in the Saban era, and then take it back to the pre-Saban era, the older players, as far as most beloved Crimson Tide football players. Wow. Okay. You're really going to have me do that. Um, I think <laughs> – Or just for you. <laughs> however you want to do it. That's a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a major question. Um, 
Okay, well, my my personal favorite player um, under the in the Saban era and re- really maybe even all time is Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, I love <laughs> everything about him. Everything. Uh, I, I got to again. I got I got to meet him this summer. He's one of the ones I got to meet, and I fell head over heels in love with this kid. I just love him. I'm calling him a kid, and I'm like, I know he's an adult, but um, I do. I absolutely love him. I love everything about him. I love the way he plays. I love the way he leads. I love the way that he is on and off the field. I love the volunteering that he does. I just, I absolutely love him. So he, he is top in my book forever. Um, I also loved Jonathan Allen. Um, I mean, the Superman. He's one of my all-time favorites. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think. A.J. McCarron, uh, he's he's one of the quarterbacks I would pick over any of them. I loved Blake Sims, but A.J. was just, like, awesome. I don't have any use for McElroy, so maybe I'm, I'm one of the only ones that doesn't really like him, but I, I, I have no wow. use for him. I don't, I don't like him. <laughs> I don't. Um, I didn't like him when he played, and I don't like him as a as a commentator. So uh, wow. there's that. But uh, I, I mean, I, I grew up with John Parker Wilson. He's not someone I would consider great or beloved at all. But I did grow up with him, and so um, you know, we like to joke when there's a, a throwaway pass that somebody pulled a JP. Um, Julio, Julio. I mean, Julio came in and, and changed the culture of Alabama football. And then, you, I mean, you got to think about our. We have two Heisman winners. We've got Mark Ingram. We've got Derrick Henry. I love Derrick Henry. I was watching him play the for the Titans last weekend, and just was God, I love him too. So, I mean, this is wow. Trent Richardson. And, uh, oh man, and, this and, is tough. Well, let me interrupt yeah. you real quick because. That was one of the most bizarre kind of things ever that Bama did not have a Heisman Trophy winner until just a few years ago. I know. <laughs> uh, like, like, uh, uh, was it with, um, I can't, I, I can't see his, I can see his face. I can't think of his name who won it first. Ingram, Mark Ingram. Ink, Mark Ingram, Mark Ingram. Cause like when he yeah, won, played for the Saints. first, yeah, their first Heisman Trophy. Cause you're thinking at some point, wouldn't Alabama have to have a Heisman Trophy winner with all the titles yeah. and all that you would think? But it was just about think. the same time, you know, Vinny, that John Wall was the national player of the year. And you're thinking in your head, at some point, wouldn't we have had a national player of the year before that? But I thought that was really bizarre for two proud programs to not have the, the player of the year just until recently. That just struck, always struck me as weird. Yeah, and then you think, you know, for me, you know, I, I think Derek Thomas, Cornelius yes, Bennett, I, was gonna talk I mean, about those Derek old Thomas. school dudes, I mean, mm-hmm. um, and Bobby Humphrey and, and Sean Alexander, yes. another Kentucky running back, another Kentucky back for you guys. I mean, it's, it just goes on and on and on, and I'm sure there's there's so many varying answers as to who's the favorite and depending on who you ask and how old they are and, and just what stands out to people. But mm-hmm. we have the same kind of questions in Kentucky basketball, you know, Rex Chapman, Derek Anderson, then you got Anthony Davis and Marcus Cousins, uh, you know, Dan Issel. It just depends on how, how old you are. 
and who you you know who stood out to you. But I you know Alabama's the exact same way. So I definitely just wanted to see who some of your favorites were. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and there's there's some that are favorites too that maybe weren't necessarily um, ones for the record books, but there's there's still fan favorites like um, Tyrone Prothrow. You know, he was there yeah. uh, when I was in school there, and I adored him. You know, and it's the catch. You know that that is yeah, an he, iconic he, Alabama scene. Yeah, yeah, he caught that on somebody's back. Is that right? That was I remember. Yeah, that was playing, the end playing yeah. Southern Miss. Yeah, and then yeah. he broke his leg playing Florida. So, you know, I mean, it was yeah. kind of back-to-back games. It was the high and the low right there. But, I mean, you know, that's those are some of my favorites in this era. And then, I mean, the ones you mentioned, Cornelius Bennett, Derek Thomas, um, those are some guys that I have, you know, always loved. Um, my son is in a kick right now where he wants NFL throwback jerseys. So we have been mm-hmm. going through picking the – best player from every NFL team and he's made a list of the players that he wants and of course we're extremely biased towards the ones that have played for Alabama so we actually just did that um kind of like last week and then I mean there's some that are iconic that you know you have to if you're going to get a Colts jersey or Indianapolis Colts it has to be it's got to be the Peyton Manning 18 jersey so I mean there's things like that where it's not not related to Bama but there are several where we were sitting there going you got to get the Bama guy like the Seahawks it's got to be Sean Alexander got to be so you know things like that like there's, there's even ties to some of our our other guys that you know haven't played for Saban that we're still um you know we still have connections with and we're trying to to help our kids see that and help them grow up with that history and that knowledge. Absolutely. We talk with Meredith Hornsby. Follow her on Twitter at Divine Mrs. MH. Uh, she also <laughs> contributes and writes at BamaHammer.com. You mentioned the Titans and Derrick Henry, and I got to just shift gears to your other half, Jonathan Hornsby, because oh, yeah. we had a conversation on, on Twitter over the weekend and a couple hours before all the playoff games in the NFL, I just tweeted out, you know, my picks uh, or who I thought was going to win the game. I went three and one, and the only pick I missed were was uh, the Titans and the Chiefs, and the Chiefs mm-hmm. looked like they should have had me proven right. But anyway, I, I tweet out my pick. I say, you know, I think the Chiefs are going to win. They're finally going to get a home win in the playoffs and the Arrowhead, you know, stadium crowd can leave happy, blah, blah, blah. So I get a mention and a reply from Jonathan, just a boo and a thumbs down. Okay. (laughs) And so so I said, are you a Titans fan? Because I didn't know, you know, he didn't have, doesn't have anything like that in his bio or anything like that. And, uh, you know, he said, yes, sir, I definitely am. And, and then, the game starts playing out. Oh, it took me a while to respond. So by the time I respond, it's already like fourteen to nothing, fourteen to three, Kansas City or something like that. And I said, Well, I'm just happy for you <laughs> that you have a team to root for in the playoffs because I'm a Cowboys fan and they stunk it up and didn't even make the playoffs. And he <laughs> said, For <laughs> for one game at least, because at that point it's not looking good for the Titans at all. <laughs> so it looks like they're going to be one and done in the playoffs. 
And so I got to cover the Kentucky-Tennessee basketball game. So I'm in Knoxville Saturday night, and I check my Twitter and see tweets, <clears throat> hashtag tighten up, so where the Titans to come back to win. And <laughs> I said, I saw that score, and I said, look at you acting like you knew y'all had it all along. When he was already <laughs> done with them, <laughs> he was through with them when it was 21-3. But uh, he didn't respond back. But just let him know I had to I had to rip him about that because he was done with him. When it was fourteen three twenty one three, he was like, "Well, good to be in the playoffs for one game." And then he goes, <clears throat> "Tighten up." I said, "Let me get you act like you knew y'all was gonna win the whole time." <laughs> he uh, he's not here right now, but he just texted me because he's listening, and he said, "Go Titans!" Like in big letters. Ah. So no, he he is a Titans fan for sure. Uh, it's it's funny. Now we're joking though this weekend because you know they play the Patriots. So I've been saying, all right, just get ready for a loss. Just get ready. Um, and we always say that being Titans fans is the best way to stay humble, um, because you know we're Bama fans, so we get we get kind of spoiled. Uh, you know on Saturdays, and then then we get back to being humble on Sundays because the Titans are just. You know they're the Titans. It's just kind of sad, but but he's he's a big Titans fan. He is. He really is. And he just tweets me. He says, "I hear you, Vinny uh, Bammer J H. <laughs> I hear you, Vinny." So he's definitely listening, which which we appreciate. And listen, Jonathan. Everybody outside of that northeastern New England area is going to be hoping y'all tighten up and pull out the upset. So <laughs> you got the you got America on your side this weekend. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of like the Bama game though. I mean, everybody wanted Bama to lose, just like everybody wants the Patriots to lose. So it's a we're on we get both sides of the ball with that one. Uh, I have a t-shirt that says yeah. anyone but the Patriots. You know, and I'm sure there are people that have ones that say anyone but Bama. So it's just right. so it's crazy. We just love well, football, and, and we can't be – well, we can't be fans of any, like, really good team uh, because we about have a heart attack every Saturday during football season. And so we can't go through that on Sundays, too, you know, or we'd, we'd be dead. <laughs> so we we can't be, like, a, a fan of a team that, that might actually have a shot or we just wouldn't be able to make it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we appreciate you hopping on to to reflect and and process this latest championship trophy with us, even though it was definitely just uh, unbelievable the way it played out. Dramatic, can't ask for a better finish, freshman QB. I mean, just unreal. And we always appreciate you coming on. Uh, usually, like I mentioned, we had you on to kind of preview the title game uh, but mm-hmm. we shouted you out last week because I knew you were sick. You know, we tweeted you out and shouted <laughs> you out, and, and glad to have <laughs> glad to have you on on the Wednesday following you all's latest championship. So congratulations, and the whole SEC. Well, everybody outside of Auburn and, and Georgia is probably cool <laughs> with it. And how about how about the Auburn fans? Their two biggest rivals are in the championship. I mean, it's you all, and then Georgia, which is you know probably their second most hated rival with the good old-fashioned hate and all that between Auburn and Georgia. So it had to be miserable for them on top of losing to Central Florida in the bowl game and then having to watch a title game with Alabama and Georgia. (laughs) 
Yeah, we we all said that. That was uh, one of my friends. I don't remember who, but he tweeted something out the other day that said, um, at least for a moment, Alabama and Georgia fans can come together and be happy that we made Auburn completely miserable today. So, like, no matter <laughs> what, Auburn fans are miserable. <laughs> oh, my dad just texted me and said, "Go Bulldogs!" So, because he's a he went to Stanford, so I have to say, "Go Stanford Bulldogs for dad." So there, there you go, Bob. Oh, okay. You heard it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Well, thank you, Dad, and we're all looking forward to spring practice and, well, signing day, spring practice, and before we know it, it'll be the uh, first game of the season again. And you best believe that everybody in Kentucky will be huge Alabama fans opening weekend because you all get more yeah. out the mark, and we all, we all hope you all just put a whooping on those Cardinals. I hope that, that we can come through for you all. But let the record show that I do I do own an Alabama football jersey. I know I tweeted Yes, you do. Before. I've seen it. And, and so I will be in, in, in my crimson for that game. And uh, yeah. what is the player's name that uh, uh, I found? He's actually T. Brown on the team right now. What's his first name? <laughs> crazy Tony. That's Tony Brown. He's crazy. Tony. <laughs> So I tweeted that picture. I put that picture. Vinny knows I put it on my Facebook before. Uh, Usually at the beginning of the season, I'll put, like, either his picture or there was a Terrell Brown that played at Texas, and I'll say, you know, college football is back, and, you know, this reminds me of my playing days. And without fail, (laughs) someone always asks me, without fail, did you really play football in Alabama or Texas? Without fail. So So I would totally lie and say yes. I'd be like, Absolutely. Totally. Oh, yeah. So that's what I'm going to start going with. It's like, oh, yeah, that was me. You know, you know Nick Saban, yeah. you know, he came 20 years after I was out of college. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's me. So it's for I'll real, yeah. Alabama. That was you. <laughs> awesome. No. Thanks so much no. for having me on, guys. It's always fun. Hey, one last thing, though, Meredith. Yeah. Terry's talking about T. Terry's talking about T. Brown, Tony Brown. His cousin, was it Makai Brown, number 48, was kind of showing out a little bit and, and kind of acting up on the sidelines. We're going to mm. talk about all the Browns. we got to talk about all the Browns. And mm. is, 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 <laughs> like, is that behind us now? Is he going to be back? I've seen people tweeting out he's going to be at community college next year, or is that out of character? Or yeah. uh, He came back immediately and apologized. Yeah, he okay. was very apologetic uh, after the game and said, you know, he shouldn't have done that at all. And um, I mean, so I think I don't know if it was that he was truly apologetic or if he knew that Saban was going to kill him. And so he was trying to do that, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, before he got back to the locker room. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, I, maybe a little bit of both. Um, I was embarrassed that uh, that he acted that way. I was embarrassed by a, a couple of different things that happened as far as the players went and, and you know, me being uh, not a fan and an alum. Uh, I just – I don't appreciate that at all. So I hope that if he if he is back that, you know, Saban will – I have no doubt we'll get him uh, under control and maybe we need to keep him on a leash next year. I don't know. Um, keep him gator, you know, chained to the chain to the Gatorade bin, or just have Scott Cochran stay on him because you know Cochran's on get back duty. So maybe we need to keep right. him right right there by Scott, so Scott can just stick his arm out, you know, and knock him back every time he starts to starts jawing like that. But I don't know, I don't know what was up with Makai. 
And number 24, who had the medical issue, is he okay? Yes. Um, uh, all I know is that, uh, that he passed out on the sideline, and uh, he was, was taken off, and then they said that he was doing okay. Uh, Mark Burnett is a friend, and, uh, and he was yeah. telling me that he, that he was okay. So I don't really know. Um, I don't really know what happened other than that. And my bad for not knowing his name. I just remember the number, and I was like, I'm definitely going to ask you about him too. But uh, thank you so much for dropping all the knowledge and, and spending time with us, just reflecting on that unbelievable finish and championship run for Alabama. So congratulations, and we always appreciate having you on with us, Meredith. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Y'all have a great night. You did too. You too. Thank you so much. Miss right, Meredith Hornsby, BamaHammer.com. Check her out on Twitter at Divine Mrs. MH. And her other half, Mr. Jonathan Hornsby, who was listening as I was messing with him about those Titans because um, he was acting like, yeah, we got it. We got it. I knew he was going to come back and beat him. So fun first hour. We'll get into some more U.K. stuff. TV, we'll get us a little quick Quick break, come back, talk about the game last night. Got another game Saturday. Get some NBA, some NFL. Squeeze all of it into these next 50, 55 minutes or so. It's Cash Talk Wednesday. Vinny Hardy, Tay Brown, episode 167. Feel free to interact on the Facebook page. Feel free to drop a Facebook comment, drop a tweet, whatever you want to do. We'll interact. We appreciate it. We'll be right back in just a couple of minutes. Stay right with us, y'all, and we'll be back with a lot more fun stuff in just a couple of minutes.
gone from the very start I'm so serious Baby got me so delirious We can have a rough experience Cause everything you feel I'm feeling it championship in nine years. Dramatic come from behind victory over Georgia with a true freshman, Tua Tungvaloa, uh, or something like that. I think I got it. Um, but it was fun to watch. You wrote a piece on the SEC right before the show. Hadn't got to read it yet. We put it out on uh, the show Twitter and, of course, your Twitter, and I retweeted it. and uh, So definitely check that out on CameronMillsRadio.com. Uh, Terry been cranking out pieces left and right, man. He rolled it. Yeah. You know, last week I went in a little bit more detail about uh, college officiating, kind of piggybacking on what we talked about last week. You know, you wrote about yeah, uh, what happened to Benny Smith. Yeah, huh? I talked about that too, which – we got to talk about that with our buddy TV. Go, go ahead. Uh, no, you're fine. No, just talking about all the stuff that kind of happened within a week with college football. It got kicked off for us uh, with Benny Snell getting ejected from the uh, Music City Bowl. And we're still dealing with that. You know, uh, Mitch Barnhart sent out a series of tweets in support of Benny Snell. Uh, Mark Stoops was on KSR last week, talked about it, and, and, and really used yeah. language that you don't ordinarily hear, you know, the official lie. I mean, that, that's usually, uh, you know, your administrators and your coaches tend to, you know, you don't want to upset the officials. I get that. So this was some strong language. And I think, uh, and then on top of that, you had TV Teddy turning his back on, uh, Joel Berry from North Carolina. Yes, he missed the call. I get that. And Berry, from what I could see, was not being demonstrative. It was just a, hey, trying to get an explanation, which we see often. And mm-hmm. just for, for Teddy Valentine to completely turn his back and show the player up, I thought was unacceptable. And then the, the day or two after that, he's going to talk to Seth Davis and talk about, well, you know, I, uh, I'm i thinking about retiring. And I just know it's time to hang it up. <laughs> the whole thesis of my piece, and people that follow me know, you know, I'm going to disagree with some official calls every now and then. You know, that happens. I'm not, you know. But what people are talking about for the most part is you have to be professional. You have to stop inserting yourself into the game. You, you, the, the theatrics, 
And I get it. A lot of media folks and coaches want to defend Teddy Valentine. I think he calls a great game. I'm watching the game. I know he's made the right call, but you don't have to go full uh, naked gun, you know, Frank Drebin, if you know, people are old enough to have seen it, where he was uh, uh, the baseball umpire and he's moonwalking and he's doing the conga and all this. You can call a foul without all the histrionics, without all the gyrations, without playing to the crowd. And that's what I think a lot of people have problems with. Uh, they have problems with the officials. That's where the issues come in. Uh, no one is getting on Ted Valentine because he missed a walk call or what have you. And also you throw in John Higgins uh, of Kentucky fans know him. He's the one suing <laughs> Kentucky sports radio. But uh, the the same, I think right around the same night, I think as Benny Snell got ejected, uh, Texas was playing somebody, I can't remember, but he teed up Shaka Smart, and there's this clip of him following Smart into the Texas bench area. That's what I couldn't understand. When they give you these explanations, I think you and, all, you and I had a, a conversation, you know, Valentine saying these were, this, his de-escalation training was to turn his back. Look, I've been through <laughs> training. At what point are you having a conversation with somebody? At what point is physically turning your back to someone beneficial? Show me that handout. Show me that PowerPoint. And with Higgins actually following uh, Shaka Smart to the bench, that's what you should never do. That is just – if you tee up a coach, you let him go his way, and you go your way. That's what should happen, right? But that's not what that's not what happened. These coaches or these I'm sorry, these officials, they tee coaches up and, and stare them down and, and have a back and forth. That's too much. I would love to see some some changes on that end. Um, but yeah, just officiating in general, you've got to be professional. Call in your zone. If you are one in the court, don't call out of bounds. 80 feet away from you, or you see them make calls where you're like, there's no way you can see through the body to make that call. Like, what are you, you're not supposed to do that. Uh, don't make these anticipation calls. You know, at, at least in football, you know, you can throw the flag, you have some downtime, you can talk to the other officials, but basketball, you can't anticipate. And that's, that's where I think a lot of the fans their frustrations with officiating. I think that's where it comes in. Uh, you know, these guys are running their little kingdoms, and, and it's really ruining the flow of the game. I mean, look at that Tennessee game uh, that we had. Uh, I didn't even know you could give a technical foul while you were looking to monitor for something else. You know, they're giving out these double technical <laughs> yeah. fouls, which are which are dumb. You look at the Tennessee-Kentucky yeah. game where they gave – a, you know, a personal foul to everybody, every player on both teams. Come on, man. And what happened? Some players on both sides got thrown out because they got a personal foul. They already had that blanket on the count of the first, and then they're ejected. Come on. That is lazy officiating. That is just lazy not doing what you need to do. And I think fans and players are, are, are getting fed up with that. Absolutely. And you, know, you mentioned that Joe Barry 
didn't, you know, come at Ted irate, you know, uh, and, and a lot, you know, being a senior and, you know, that a lot of times that stuff carries weight and a good player, well-respected player, doesn't have a track record of run-ins with officials. None of that mattered to, to Ted. And he turned his back and then turned around and, and you know, gave him the, that's it, don't come any closer or whatever. And when he asked for the ball, Barry, the only thing that you could tell Barry was upset about was when Ted asked for the ball, Barry just set the ball down where he was. There's a few feet in between them, and instead of <laughs> tossing it to him and giving him a bounce pass, you could tell you could tell that Barry was like, well, okay, then. If it's like that, he set the ball at his feet and turned around and walked away. And you could you look at Teddy, and he was kind of like, oh, oh, oh. Like, it kind of even caught him off guard a little bit. Nothing that he could do about it because, you know, Ted is the one that was acting up. But I think, you know, that you could tell if there was any little indication that Barry was rubbed the wrong way, that was it. Where Ted asked for the ball, he's like, okay, then, well, you can get the ball right here because I'm going to put it at my feet, and that's it. I ain't throwing you the ball. <laughs> so what? Barry still kept his cool even though he was hot after the way he was, you know, confronted or not confronted in this case by seeing the backside of Ted Valentine. Well, and I think this is where the NBA, I think, is probably the better officiated of, of our major sports at the college and pro level because they do allow a dialogue back and forth. And when you watch uh, NBA stuff, I think that was with Ahmad Rashad, you know, they had guys wired up. And you could you could catch glimpses of those conversations between – the officials and the players. And I can't remember, it wasn't Joey Crawford, it was probably Hugh Hollins or one of those guys, older guys. And he said to Magic Johnson, you don't get that anymore. You, you, you don't get that, hey, if, if, you know, if official A said to coach C, you know what, I blew that one. But they, they don't even give coaches that uh, anymore. So it's just a really frustrating prospect for coaches and players. Uh, you know, baseball, I think, has gotten better with the K-Zone because you and I remember growing up where players would talk about, you know, so-and-so strike zone is this, so-and-so strike zone is that. And it's like, no, yeah. the strike zone is the strike zone. That's the, that's the thing. I just want officials to be consistent and fair and professional. You know, there was a great article I, I retweeted today uh, from Deadspin the thesis was to get rid of the full court press, which, you know, I'm not for that. But one of the points in it is teams at full court press really put pressure on officials on making those calls. And uh, it was kind of focusing on West Virginia and, you know, that press Virginia, that, that defense they run so well, which, you know, when we go play them uh, in a few weeks, I'm not thrilled about that. But, it really yeah. talks about the, 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 what officials allow in a full-court press they don't allow in the half-court. And I have said for years that, that Patino, when he was at Louisville in that press, the thing is they're not going to call everything. My thing was call it. <laughs> you, know, you, you, know, you have to call it. So I just want some fairness and some consistency 
And I don't know that we get that, even from play to play. You know, looking at last night's game against Texas A&M, the last play of the game, did Gabriel uh, grab Davis? Yeah, probably. You know, <laughs> probably. Oh, definitely. But that, that's just, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, probably. But, but that's just one of those no calls. And it balances out with that crazy technical foul that Humphreys got a couple years ago at Texas A&M. I, I know it yeah. sucks when you have a bad call for you, but the universe just has a way of balancing that stuff out, Right. You know, I have seen, we all know about Christian Leitner stomping on uh, Aminu Timberlake's chest, and you're like, that guy should have been thrown out. Well, conversely, I've seen a few times, you know, probably Boogie Cousins against Louisville. Well, yeah, he probably should have been thrown out that game. So, you know, it, yeah. the universe has a way of just kind of in the long term, when you're looking at bad calls, erroneous calls, they usually even out. What I don't buy into is some of our Louisville fans that talk about corrupt arena and knowing they're going to have a foul as soon as they get off the bus and all this kind of stuff. That's conspiracy-level stuff that I'm not saying. I'm not saying that officials sit down and decide what teams are going to screw over. Because my number one question is, well, how does that even work? You know, how do we go about doing that? What I'm just talking about is let these officials be professional. Let them – you know, um, let them be consistent. That that would be my two biggest, you know, takeaways. Yeah, and, you know, um, Winion did get away with the hold. It wasn't, you know, a bear hug, because we all know what a bear hug is, but he did. And, you know, I tweeted it out. Uh, NFL DBs would take note, because um, so many times we'll see a DB running with a receiver in position, he's fine. But you'll see him panic and grab and hold and push or not turn his head around and get a flag when there wasn't a need to get a pass in the French flag. Now, if you're beaten, it's going to be a touchdown. Grab a jersey, do what you got to do, and just take that spot foul penalty instead of letting the guy toast you and, and give up a touchdown. Winion was kind of getting away with some of that little sneaky chicken fighting that wide receivers and DBs do, and he was able to hold him up and keep him from catching the pass. Um, got away with one. That's all you can say. He got away with one. Uh, if they'd have blew the whistle there, which they could have, eh, you know, it would have been 24,000 boos, but, you know, if you're being objective, <laughs> he did impede his progress. Just like Joel Berry the dude grabbed his arm, which kept him from catching that pass, which led to the whole TV Ted turn his back on him anyway, because he's just going to go and say, hey, dude, grab me by my wrist as I was running down the court. You saw Joe Barry half spin around as he was running. Well, that's what you do when somebody grabs you by the arm and you're running, you know, or else you're going to jerk your arm out of socket. You spin and kind of try to free yourself. That's what he was doing. When you got away with it, dude from Florida State got away with it. It happens. Um, and the end of the execution for Kentucky was <laughs> is going to be addressed going forward, just like these toughness issues have been addressed after the Tennessee game because they did get out tough. And us saying that, me saying that, doesn't mean I'm a negative fan. 
We all saw what happened in Knoxville after P.J. Washington went out. Grant Williams went off. Grant Williams had two points on over four shooting in the first half when P.J. was in there. P.J. goes out with cramps. The dude ends up with 18 points, 16 points in the second half. You saw what he did last night at Vanderbilt, 37 points, because Vanderbilt doesn't have anybody equipped to handle it. So P.J.'s been playing tough. Last night against Texas A&M, he had some help from the rest of the Kentucky team, and that's what I wrote about. Uh, My recap of the Tennessee loss centered around P.J. Washington primarily. Uh, William played well before fouling out. Everybody else kind of had a night to forget. Hamadou Diallo, since he stepped on the court, was just fouling left and right. You know, two fouls in the first two minutes, started the second half the same way. So, historically, it's not a shock to see Kentucky lose at Tennessee. As much as that kills me growing up on the Kentucky-Tennessee border, this four losses in the past five years at Thompson Bowling ain't nothing new. I mean, it was happening back in the 70s and the 80s. The struggles that Tennessee, you know, have quite a history. So it was good to see them bounce back uh, against Texas A&M without quad A green. You you got Brad Calipari jumping in and getting some run in the first half. Um, You see him come from behind again at home, kind of like they had to do against Georgia. Had a shaky finish, but they were able to hang on. Uh, you said the missed free throws, turnovers, everything you don't want to see in the last end of a game, which you know the coaches are going to be all over them uh, going forward to kind of, as Mark Stoops likes to say, get that cleaned up. That's definitely going to happen. That's, and there's just so many things that they are trying to get right and bring guys along all at once because they're so young. We say that every year, but they are really so young. We've seen different guys ball out. You know, a couple weeks ago, Hamadou Diallo, freshman of the week. Boom, SEC freshman of the week. Ball, four straight games, 18, 19 points, two or three steals a game. Boom, boom, boom. Kevin Knox in a little funk. TJ, a couple weeks ago, wasn't playing like he is now. So the whole process is trying to get everybody where they need to be two months from now is what we're witnessing, and that's exactly where we are. Well, and I know we keep going back to what we've been writing, but I, I touched on this. Why not? Number one, <laughs> that's called promotion. Right? But, <laughs> but, but number one, uh, when you, yes, you know, being up at the half at Tennessee and, 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 and getting kind of manhandled that second half, it's not good, right? I'm not defending no. that. But what I am going to say is pump the brakes. Let's look at some perspective. You know, my theory is if Luke May misses that shot in March, the game goes to overtime and we beat Carolina, there is no one-and-done fatigue. There's, there's none. Mm. I, I, got, I had a back-and-forth with somebody, I think, after the Tennessee game, and his thing was, man, I just want to get to a Final Four. We were in a Final Four in 2015. I mean, <laughs> You know, you know, that was a long time ago. Really? So perspective-wise, every coach that has coached at the University of Kentucky, from Adolph Rupp coming forward to Coach Cal, has taken 
a veteran, highly ranked, skilled team to somewhere in the SEC played a team that's not nearly as talented, not nearly as good, and lost. I went to BigBlueHistory.net. Adolph Rupp has taken top two, three, number one teams in, into not Thompson Bowling, but into Tennessee and lost. Into Vanderbilt and lost. Into Tuscaloosa and lost. Sometimes that just happens. Now, I can look at the box scores. I don't know if they got out tough and all that, but just in general, because Kentucky's very, very good usually, and sometimes going on the road, you're going to lose ball games, right? The 98 championship team took a crazy, bizarre tip from Najee Muhammad to escape Vanderbilt. That's just what happens. All these people that complain about the one-and-dones and being young, sometimes players just make basketball mistakes. You know, it's and, and, and it's got nothing to do with, with youth or inexperience like uh, Shea uh, Gilgis-Alexander. You know, I think it was like 30 seconds left in the game last night. Dribbles across half court, picks up his dribble, and gets stripped. Mm-hmm. We had timeouts. Yeah. You've got to make that call. That's not a freshman play. That's a play that you know from your boys playing basketball right now. One of those things is you, you don't, you know, Kevin Knox as well, don't cut that ball you know, against full-court press in that dead man's corner. Don't do it. You know, that's just basic things that I have seen veteran players make. It's just so all, everything that happens is not because we're young. It just happens because basketball players are human and they make mistakes. Right? So you have to have some perspective. When people that start to complain about Cal's method, they, for some reason, like to talk about his lack of success, which is ridiculous. I mean, what are you talking about? It's like, you know, uh, I think Skip Bayless was talking about Alabama, and, you know, I hate Skip Bayless's point of view a lot of times, but this was dumb, that Alabama is known for losing big games. Really? <laughs> Under Nick Saban? And, uh, you, know, cause I, you know, I said – uh, in my piece, you know, about SEC, if you want to beat them, you've got to beat Alabama consistency. You know, somebody pointed out, oh, they lost to Ohio State in the, uh, you know, in the playoff semifinal a couple of years ago, and oh, they lost last year to uh, to Clemson. I, I get that, but five titles in nine years, what are you talking about? My point is, this is Cal's ninth season. His previous eight, half of them have ended in the final four. And I don't understand this mindset of making a final four a participation ribbon. As storied as Kentucky football is, and we all, I personally believe it's the the best program in college basketball history, Vinny, what are the only achievements that we put up banners for in Rupp Arena? What's the what? Where? What do you have to do at least to get up there? Get to the final four. You got to you, you get to a final four. So if this is the one thing that we recognize as being banner worthy, then you can't dismiss it out of hand. And look, we can we can say that 
cows should have more titles. That's a a worthwhile debate. But I see people talk about, you know, I'll never get over 2015. Man, you, you got to. I mean, I, I, I just I, I just don't understand that way of thinking. Look, I would love for us to have won eight titles in a row. I, I, I would love that, but that's not feasible. And, and these people that have made it championship are bust. Do you remember where you were when Brandon Knight hit that shot against Ohio State? I do. Yeah. Do you remember mm-hmm. where you were when Aaron Harrison hit those three big-time shots in successive games? Do you remember where you were? I'm no. not ready to just put those memories in the trash bin because they didn't result in a title. I mean, we won eight. The NCAA tournament is almost 80 years old. I think this year will be the 69th edition, if I'm not mistaken. So we don't win every year. Talk about championship or bust. Are you telling me is is Dan Issel not a, a good Kentucky Wildcat because he didn't win a title? Sam Bowie? Our guest a couple weeks ago, Kenny Walker, is he not a Wildcat? You know, and I hear people talk about, oh, we need Kentucky guys. Kentucky guys get it. Mm. Some of the best players that come to the program were not born in the state of Kentucky. Again, Dan Issel doesn't count. Sam Bowie doesn't count. Tony Delt doesn't right. count. Kenny Davis Walker doesn't count. count. Kenny Walker doesn't count. Kyle Macy doesn't count. <laughs> Mike Pratt doesn't count. He's not a real Wildcat. Yeah. What do you, I mean? What do you? What do you? What do you say? What? And last year with Dominic Hawkins and, and uh, Derek, that was the exception. That's what made it really special. Our, our best player, usually, they're not from Kentucky. Usually. I understand there's, you know, Rex and, you know, some guys here and there. But this notion that kids not born here don't get it. Are you, are, what? I mean, what do you – so, I, I get there's frustration. Nobody hates losing. I mean, nobody hates – everybody hates losing on the road at Tennessee. I, I get it. Yeah. But you have to have perspective. The end goal is they're going to get there. And one thing I don't think about this season that's really got enough, Barker and Vanderbilt haven't played. You know, yeah. in the preseason, Cal and his coaches and his staff, they've got to they, – like, hey, we got these pieces. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. Two big pieces aren't playing. Now, I'm not expecting anybody to feel sorry, but – this isn't quite the team that anybody envisioned. So when you do have a guy out, when you do have file trouble, the bench gets narrow. And you look at a game last night, I think that's a heck of a game uh, for this team. Shorthanded, Shea played, you know, 39 minutes and 30 seconds. P.J. was a beast when he needed to be. Uh, you know, Winion is being active. I think moving forward, this is the kind of game you can hang your hat on. Because before the game, most people were saying, we don't have a shot, you know, yada, yada, yada. But they gutted it out. And you're going to have to do that come March. Every team that has reached the Final Four or better, every team since the tournament began has had one game where they just had to grind it out. It was ugly. It was 
nothing was going for you, and you still had to grind it out. You know, in 98, it was the Duke game, down by 17 points in the second half. You know, uh, Tyus Edney for UCLA in 95 had to go length of the court against Missouri. You, there are games you're going to have to just win when nothing is going for you. And when so the going gets tough, Cal can point back to that game and say, look, Quad A didn't play. You know, we, we, weren't, we weren't firing, weren't doing what we usually do, and we still found a way to win. Yeah, I take that. I, I, you know, I've, I've been ranting a little bit, but this, this notion that, you know, Cal's method doesn't produce success, like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And elite eights are hard to get to as well. You know, we thumb our nose up at it. We stick our nose up, but they're hard to get to. And I don't agree, um, you know, with the you know people that are negative. I mean, even if Kentucky gets to the Final Four last year, uh, there would still be, like you said, there would still be a faction, a minority, that vocal minority, whatever you want to call it, online minority, that would still be complaining like they are this year. And it's always that ripple, that little undercurrent, that murmuring, just like we're seeing now, that, you know, if they get to a Final Four or if they get to the title game and lose – there would still be that little outcry. Um, You you see the little Twitter discussions and and interactions and people urging them to stop, and it's just, I mean, it's just not. They're not going to stop. They're going to do what they're going to do. They're going to be unhappy with whatever they want to be unhappy with and make more out of stuff than is necessary. And I I just think I found a fool with it, but it's, I mean, <laughs> it shouldn't happen. It will. It always does. You see people tweeting at the kids. You see people tweeting at Knox because he's struggling. Um, you see, like you said, people upset that a Final Four happened so long ago. They are going to stop. They shouldn't, but they're not going to stop. And I, it's, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, and, 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 you know, I'm not trying to say that I'm a better fan than somebody else, but you you can't get bent out of shape about a conference road loss in January. You just you just can't get too bent out of shape. Uh, but you got people, you know, we're not going to make it past, you know, the first round. And remember, people were very uh, low on last year's team. Right, I mean, people were saying that about last yeah. year's team, and, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I don't think that a lot of folks, social media wise, really got behind the team until, you know, they beat UCLA in the tournament. Right. You know, I, I felt a lot of people didn't get invested until that moment, and it's and it's strange this general malaise with the fan, and, and I don't get it even by Kentucky standards. And again, I know we haven't put up, you know, multiple titles under Cal. But this is a pretty good run. You have to go back pretty far to see four Final Fours, you know, in that first, you know, five-year period under Cal. That's a pretty good run for anybody. And my thing is you can't win a title until you get to the Final Four. 
Like you, you have to get there yeah. to even be in the mix. So I don't see where getting to a Final Four is a bad thing. And, and one more thing, and I know we want to cover you know some of the NBA and NFL, but I, I said in my piece talking about Cal, when you look at who we've lost to in the tournament, there's no Lehigh's, there's no Mercer's, there's no Bucknell's. <laughs> You know, you know, keep in mind the Andrew Wiggins team at Kansas. Andrew Wiggins didn't see the second round of the uh, second weekend of the tournament. Okay. Kevin Durant at Texas didn't see the second weekend of the tournament. Kyrie Irving at Duke didn't see the second weekend of the tournament. Right? Jabari Parker didn't see the second weekend of the tournament. So talent, yes. But we don't have those on our ledger. Every team that has eliminated Kentucky from the tournament has been at least Final Four, most of the time national champion, except for Indiana, who was the Big Ten regular season champion in 2016. Yeah. When, when, when somebody beats us, I don't have to Google who they are, where they come from, <laughs> what their mascot is. North Carolina, you know, UConn, you know. In West Virginia, I mean, you could probably say that West Virginia team wasn't that great, but they still, they reached the Final Four. You know, yeah. so it's, it's <laughs> notion that we're stinking it up in the tournament. It's, it's just not factually true. Yeah. It was on the Vanderbilt Saturday uh, who had Tennessee on the ropes for a large portion of the game. They were up 10 at halftime. They were leading halfway through the second half. The lead may start changing hands. Uh, they lose 92-84. to 84. We all know how funky and difficult it is to play uh, Kentucky down there at Memorial Coliseum for every team going in there. Just with the layout, the configuration, um, We've seen loaded Kentucky teams going there and struggle and, and, you know, mentioned the tip-in from Najee Muhammad, 98. So uh, they hadn't been shooting as great from three-point land as they normally do. Uh, they were shooting pretty well against Tennessee. <clears throat> uh, they lost 92-84, to 84, so they put up 84 points. Uh, they'll no doubt be up for Kentucky. They're getting their two probably biggest opponents of the season in Memorial Coliseum, Memorial Gym, rather, back-to-back, well, with in-state rival Vols, and then, you know, Big Bad Kentucky coming in for the weekend. So, you know, they definitely want to look to finish what they weren't able to finish against Tennessee last night. So, uh, Kentucky's going to have their work cut out for them. We still don't know what the status of Quad Green is. Um, you got Shea talking about feeling some a little noodle legs after going the distance last night. So uh, they'll have to be ready. They'll have to get out there and guard them because, you know, Vanderbilt's going to be bombs away from three and, and not a lot of stuff for them going on down low. Uh, but Kentucky's just going to have to strap it up and get the young guys acclimated to that environment uh, as quick as possible and, and try to get a win on the road, which is going to be hard no matter where you are in the SEC this year, because everybody pretty much league-wide is better. Everybody's scheduled better. Everybody's playing better. Everybody's hired better coaches. 
uh, Vanderbilt thumped Alabama at home. Who uh, Alabama is one of those teams that has made improvements and is looking to have uh, a year where they make a stand and step forward. Vanderbilt beat them down in Nashville. So just because they're five and nine or you know six and nine, whatever their record is, not good, doesn't mean they're gonna lay down when Kentucky comes in there. Right, and Sean Barnum touched on this. I can't remember what game now. It'll come to me. But the SEC, half of the top 100 recruits this past recruiting class went to the SEC. So what that is saying to me is these schools, other than Kentucky, are being serious about basketball, and it's going to be tough. Road games, conference games are going to be tough. And if you can get a win, however you can get a win in conference, take it and run. Don't apologize. But it's going to be tough from here on out. You know, we don't have a full roster of just overwhelming bodies uh, like we usually do. We're going to have to gut these games out. That being said, I think it's going to work out better for Kentucky in the long run when the tournament rolls around. I think that's going to work out a little bit better for us, but uh, it's going to be tough. So uh, I think the Cats pull it out, but they're, they're going to have to work for it. And I think these last couple of games, and even going back to LSU in Georgia, th- there's no guesswork. They're going to, you know, teams aren't going to roll over. You know, it, that's historically been Kentucky's thing, right? When Kentucky comes to town, it is an event. They give away T-shirts. It's a, it's, a, it's a huge thing. Well, you know, these guys are going to have to get used to that. So I think the Cats pull it out. But, man, they're going to have to put on the big boy pants. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, I think they do this Saturday. I couldn't say that last Saturday. And, you know, I didn't say that last Saturday on the show. I didn't pick a score, but I didn't, I didn't pick it to win because, I mean, it's just what it is, what it is in Knoxville. Um, but I, I think they can go on the road, learn a little something from that Tennessee loss. Uh, I put a clip in my piece about uh, T.J. Washington. Actually, it was a YouTube video that Curtis Birch had posted with a, with a media session, and he was referencing how everybody was mad after that loss, T.J. You know, referring to himself and the rest of the team, you know, upset about how uh, they dropped that game. And so, you know, you got players and, and you got fans and stuff talking about they don't care and this, that, and the other. And then they realize they do care if Kentucky gets knocked out of the tournament short of a championship. And you see how much they care in the locker room uh, when they realize they're playing their last game. Well, you know, PJ talking about they were they were not happy dropping that game to Tennessee. So, you know, all the don't care stuff, they do care. So you put out a tweet about theories being debunked uh, earlier. That's another, that's a Kentucky fan theory that gets debunked. Well, these guys don't care. They just want to go to the NBA and they just want to play, go to class and, and get on out of here. But that's not the truth either. Um, and, and PJ is rolling, you know, I mentioned in my piece, I mentioned at the start of the show, different guys taking their turn 
as being the most consistent player on the team. You know, Hamadou Diallo had a little run. Uh, Shea had his run, and now he, he got back on track last night. Four out of the last five games, P.J. Washington has been rolling. You know, he was the only guy, you know, in Knoxville. Um, the Louisville game is the only one where he didn't really, you know, score in double figures and have five, six, seven rebounds. But he fouled out of that game and only played 15 minutes. Uh, he had seven points in those 15 minutes. So, you know, you transfer that on out to 25, 30 minutes, of action, he'd have been in double figures and would have had, you know, uh, a good little amount of rebounds as well. So you can see it kind of the light coming on for him. And you can see him finding and figuring out what it takes to do it consistently at this level, you know, as he transitions from being uh, a high school player. He had the head-to-head matchup with Grant Williams. Uh, undersized, big, strong guy. So, you you know, you got to get up for that. He knew the Texas A&M guys personally from playing in high school, the, uh, the Davis kid. He knew the Williams kid. He knew those guys. So, once again, another team with some rugged big men coming in. Well, I better be ready. I want to prove I can hold my own. And, you know, they ain't going to come in here and embarrass me. You can see that he's putting it all together. And, you know, he lost a lot of weight in season. You know, maybe wasn't in the best shape that he should have been in coming into the season. Dropped weight, changed his body in season, and now he's kind of reaping the reward as he uh, sees it translate in, in good play, game in, game out. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, in, in, uh uh, Diallo played really well the second half last night. So I would love to see two or three guys at one time playing really, really well. If, if we can get, you know, PJ on the inside, Diallo on the outside, get Knox back going again, the pieces are still there. What I always try to tell folks is this year is like 2013 and 2014. There's no dominant team. You know, Duke has looked really – they've given up 93 points per game their first three games in the ACC. That ain't not good. You know, that's, you know and, and Michigan State got manhandled at Ohio State. So there's really not a team that I would be scared to play. So if you're taking, saying, hey, this is kind of like that 2014 year, I, I, I like our chances, especially as if Cal hinted at last night, uh, Vanderbilt starts playing. Well, there you go. That that's that's a, another wrinkle this team uh, can add. So, uh, you know, I'm not. Uh, I, I'm just not as worried as some other people. I think this team we we make it at least to the Sweet Sixteen, and if things fall the way they should, you know, I, I think we end up, uh, you know, Elite Eight or better. I, I just have lots of lots of faith in that. Absolutely. NFL division, division round comes up this weekend. We had the wild card weekend. Uh, the Falcons beat the Rams. Titans beat the Chiefs. Jaguars beat the Bills. Um, and then the other NFC game, Falcons 
know, Saints, Saints beat the Panthers for the third time. What are you expecting this weekend? Saints in Minnesota, Falcons in Philly, Titans in Foxborough, Jags in Pittsburgh. I really like the Saints because now that they've got a running game uh, mm-hmm. where Drew Brees is not throwing it 50 times a game and they can play some defense, they're really looking like that Super Bowl team, winning team of a couple years ago. So I really like the Saints. Minnesota, I'm just not sure what they have. I, I just, you know, they're one of those teams that just they have a good record, but are you really scared to go to Minnesota? And I don't think Drew Brees and the Saints are. Uh, I think the Falcons will take care of uh, the Eagles. Uh, they're just a different team without wins. And, and I think the Falcons mm-hmm. – but the Falcons are all about their play calling. Right? If they don't have Matt Ryan sitting back there, you know, 40, 50 times a game, uh, I, I think they're a different uh, ball club as well. On the other side – uh, we talked about Alabama being uh, like Michael Myers, and that's, you know, the Patriots have reached that level where you just, mm-hmm. until someone beats them, you know, I know people have beat them in this round previously, but you're going to have to do it. I'm not going to pick against them, uh, in, in either for Pittsburgh. I, I think uh, Pittsburgh can score enough points. I have zero faith in, in Blake Bortles. They had, what, 87 yards passing. <laughs> that, that's not going to get it done uh, with, with Le'Veon Bell and Big Ben and, and, and if uh, uh, Antonio Brown is, is back and uh, can make some plays. So I, I think we're looking for another Steelers-Patriots uh, uh, in the AFC Championship game. And I think it's going to be Saints and the Falcons uh, in a Dirty South uh, matchup. Uh, that would be something. And it's it's interesting that nobody has any confidence in the number one or number two seed in the NFC. Whether, you know, the Eagles with, with wins out, like you said. The Vikings are the two seed, you know, home field all the way throughout unless they got to go to Philly. Uh, I mean, Case Keenum's been doing it all year long for him. But, I mean, if you got to pick between Kate Kim and Drew Brees, everybody's going to pick Drew Brees. You know, Hall of Famer, got a ring, playoff battles. You know, when he had a running game, when he didn't have a running game, you know, think of the time when he didn't have a running game was back when, you know, they were up in Seattle and Beast Mode had that epic run through the entire Saints defense. That's them that's without a running game coming up short on the road. Like you said, now they have, you know, Mark Ingram, uh, Alabama's first Heisman Trophy winner, and yeah. <laughs> Alvin Kamara, rookie from Tennessee. You know, we all know how we feel about Tennessee in football, but Kamara is killing it for the Saints as a rookie. So that's a, a dynamic duo in the backfield along with Breeze, like you mentioned, and that always lethal passing game. And they're still going to be indoors in Miami, I'm sorry, in Minnesota. Uh, so they, you know, fast track, they can get it going. Uh, the Vikings defense is nasty, but, you know, uh, I, I like you, like you said, experience for the Saints, they've been there. Same thing for the Falcons going into Philly now. 
without wins. Uh, they got to have that chip on their shoulder. Like Alabama, Alabama loses to Clemson. They come all the way back and finish it this year. North Carolina loses the title in that buzzer beater to Villanova. The next year they come back and finish it. The Falcons are trying to do that. Um, if it's them and the Saints in the NFC title game, I don't know, but I think they got enough to get by Philadelphia. And we've seen this in football throughout the years, a team that doesn't win the Super Bowl, well, not in the recent years, but back in the day it happened. You know, the Cowboys lost to the Dolphins in, like, Super Bowl five. They came back the next year and won it in Super Bowl six. We've seen stuff like that happen. So I think the Falcons uh, will definitely get by Philly now because I just, I just don't have the respect for Nick Foles. Uh, the confidence just isn't there. They're a totally different team without him. I'm in the 3% minority, you know, Titans have a 3% chance to beat <laughs> New England. I'm hoping that happens. Uh, the Jaguars went to Pittsburgh earlier in the season and beat the Steelers down. Big Ben had five interceptions. Roethlisberger said he wanted another shot to Jaguars. That Jacksonville defense is saying, well, you want us, you're going to get us. But it's the playoffs now in Pittsburgh. It's, it's hard to see them duplicating what they did in the regular season. This was also back when Roethlisberger, you know, <laughs> he said, well, maybe I'm just not good enough. You know, he, this was, you know, contemplating retirement coming into the season, has just one of the worst games of his career. And whether he was really truly doubting himself, his confidence was that low, or was he just kind of saying it to get himself refocused, to play like he's capable of in his final year, whatever it was, they caught him at – a terrible time for him. Kind of at a good time for the Jacksonville team, but it's hard to see him, you know, throwing a, a five interception game in the playoffs. Been there too many times, done it too many times. Uh, so got to take the Steelers and Patriots. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> he got the. I got more touchdowns and picks than anybody. So we've got we got both records. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> So <laughs> it's going to be fun to see how that all plays out. Um, NBA, man, was, you know, LeBron had a bad plus minus the other day, Terry. Did you hear about that? Well, I mean, yeah. Overblown. There's, there's... I mean, such overblown. Everybody just ripping and falling out and fainting about that. That was ridiculous. And, and my thing with, with LeBron is honestly until I see uh, uh, he's bought that benefit until I see somebody from the East put him out, I, I just don't buy it. You know, the NBA season is so long that I don't want to say teams can coast, but you can coast and you can, <laughs> you, you're going to have stretches of bad basketball because you know, you've got some good basketball to play toward the end. So, um, I'm dialed into the NBA, you know, now with, with college football being over and the NFL kind of hitting the end. This is when I get in the full swing uh, about the NBA. Um, you know, oddly enough, uh, Rajon Rondo's looked pretty good. Uh, you know, he had 20 with 25 assists the other night. 
week or so yeah. ago. Uh, but Boogie and, and Anthony Davis have just been – they are just one competent, like, wing. And I know Darius is top ten. Darius Miller is top ten in threes. But they need a wing that can, can really fill it up from being really good. Um, but it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be Golden State and most likely Cleveland again. Uh, I know Boston has looked good for stretches, but I, I just don't think they they can beat a dialed in LeBron. I just I, I just don't see it. Yeah, um, and. You know, once they do turn it on, whether they're the one seed or two seed, um, they are going to be the favorite again. Boston beat them the other day in Boston. So, you know, it'll be a fun series if they meet up. You know, Toronto is, is hot and the way in case doing well again. But they've, you know, lost to Cleveland the past two years in a row. Um, and, you know, no disrespect to Lowry and, and DeRozan and all those guys. And... San Antonio, Kawhi Leonard, is, I mean, he was hurt and missed a ton of action with the leg injury. Uh, he gets back, planned restricted limited minutes, and now he's got a torn shoulder. He, I mean, he just can't win for losing this year. The Spurs still good. You know, Popovich is, you know, proving once again why he's a great coach. And they're going to be, they're going to fight, they're going to battle. Uh, our Rockets are you know, doing all right. You know, James Harden is out still with the hamstring injury. Uh, we've seen what they can do when Harden and Paul are together. We saw the Rockets go on a 14-game win streak without Paul. We saw the Lakers break that win streak because I ran my mouth on the show a couple weeks ago, and so that's what I get. Uh, and we've seen Houston come down to earth, and after the 14-game win streak, they lost like five in a row. Since Harden's been out, they're two and two. Uh, they just got to focus on you know getting through this little stretch of games uh, until they get Harden back. And I'm kind of working on a little piece on that uh, because we've seen Golden State just because they have more talent than everybody. But even when they lose somebody, they still roll. You know, Durant's missed time, Curry's missed time. Uh, they still can go out and handle business. So Houston is kind of there right now. Uh, they lost to the Warriors the other day. They played them tough. Uh, Durant was out. Harden was out. Played them tough in Houston, but Golden State hit them with a 16-1 run in the fourth quarter, and that was kind of the difference in the game. So uh, Houston's got to get themselves back together and, and get healthy and get their ducks back in a row. We'll see what kind of challenge they can present come playoff time as well. Uh, anything Everybody knows goes past eight ten tonight. We'll be up on the podcast block, talkradio.com slash cast talk. So let's just throw that out there real quick. And I gotta shift it to football real quick, T B, because you and I talked about Marvin Lewis and how we thought he was gonna move on. Cincinnati fans thought he was gonna move on. Fifteen years, no playoff wins. He is back with a new deal. Meanwhile in Detroit, Jim Caldwell is fired. Which you know, losing to the Bengals and getting knocked out of the playoffs, that may have had something to do with it. Even though he finished 9-7, and seven, had a lot of improvement, lost a lot of games to teams that were, you know, didn't have signature wins, if you will, in the NFL. 
And so they made a change in Detroit, which is just, you know, you can see why. But when you just compare the two franchises, that's a shame. Jim Caldwell is out, and Marvin Lewis is still just doing what he does in Cincinnati. Yeah, and I don't want to, you know, put words in the Cincinnati fans' mouths, but you reach that point where you need somebody to take you to the next level. And you have to ask, can Marvin Lewis do it? But the number one thing, and this I can't remember where I saw this or, or what, but if you're going to work for Mike Brown in Cincinnati, number one, you got to let Mike Brown be Mike Brown. <laughs> so <laughs> Marvin Lewis apparently is doing that right. And, and some folks would say probably what Jason Garrett's doing down in Dallas. Uh, oh, you know, my it, it, it's You let the owner kind of do his thing and you get to hang out. It, it's just, I, I don't know uh, what, the, what the Bengals can do to get over that hump. I just, I don't, I don't, I thought that Marvin Lewis was, was out the door. Uh, that was my whole thought process, and I'm more than shocked that that was not the case. Yeah, and that's and just the Jim Caldwell thing was almost so under the radar. I was like, what? I was I, like a couple of days after the fact, and I saw that, you know, somebody received permission to interview with him or something. I was like, oh, my goodness. I didn't know Jim was gone. And uh, like I said, that just made me think, like, you know, we got Marvin Lewis just still there. And, and Jason Garrett's in that same boat as well, you know, when he comes up short in those win-or-go-home-type games, uh, those don't go the Cowboys' way. But, you know, Jerry Jones comes out on 105.3 down there in Dallas, you know, isn't even thinking about a coaching change. Jason Garrett's not the issue, and those are his quotes. So uh, it is what it is. And meanwhile, across the bay from your Niners, and John Gruden just got $100 million to uh, end his coaching hiatus. So there's that as well. I, I don't get it. I, I, I don't get the love affair with, with John Gruden. And he's great on TV, and yes, he's got that Super Bowl, but then you have to look at, he walked into a really nice situation in Tampa Bay. As Tony Dungy had really built that squad, the defense was ready, the offense knew what they had to do. He walked into a great situation. If I was going to pick a coach that had gone into broadcasting to do that kind of deal, it would have been Jimmy Johnson about five or ten years ago. I, I would have done that because – of his track record. So i never really got the love affair with John Gruden. You know, I get Chucky face and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but I just, ne- it never really clicked. Like in just 10 years, a hundred million. I mean, if you're Gruden, obviously you take it. I mean, that's that much as <laughs> <Yeah>. obvious, but <laughs> I just, man, it just didn't. It Wow. Yeah, I, I I don't know, but the Raiders are always doing Raider type things. So, uh, in the True. spirit of Al Davis, they are just gonna roll the dice and see what happens. I guess I, I I've talked to a few Raiders fans that aren't really sold on it either. 
Mm-hmm. We shall see very soon. But that was one of the big topics that happened since we were on last week. So you know we had to put our two cents in on it. Um, another super fun show. Squeezed in a whole lot. <clears throat> Looking forward to Saturday. The Cats against Vanderbilt. Uh, NBA. We will definitely be diving into that in NFL playoffs. Uh, our favorite all-star game is right around the corner. And we'll just talk about all the changes that will be made to that, and it will be in your Staples Center, home of your Lakers, uh, and little brother, the Clippers. I wrote a piece about the new look all-star game uh, a few months ago. So we'll have to dive into that because you and I are fans of NBA All-Star Weekend. Uh, so we'll definitely get to that as it's, you know, just a few weeks away, next month, we'll be talking about it and we'll be watching it, uh, the new format and all of that. Um, enjoy the playoff games. Enjoy Kentucky Vanderbilt. Uh, Brooke is going to be covering it at CameronMillsRadio.com. Uh, so she gets to go hang out in the Functified Memorial Gym and cover it. Uh, check out <laughs> Terry and I as we continue to crank out pieces on CameronMillsRadio.com and also check out the Out of the Blue documentary. Uh, you can get Out of the Blue and the team at CameronMillsRadio.com or OutoftheBlueMovie.com. Uh, so get them, watch them if you haven't done so already. You'll definitely enjoy both. And we enjoyed this show. We enjoyed Meredith Hornsby and enjoyed having you on for the whole ride, TV. Another good show. We'll see everybody next week. That's right. Y'all take care for my man Terry TV Brown. This is Vinnie Hardy. We'll be back next week for another episode of Catch Talk Wednesday. Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blocktalkradio.com. See everybody later.